What's up, guys? You are now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today, we're going to be working through Genesis 31 through 33. I'm excited to get back in the text with my guy, Detective Mills. You ready, my guy? All right, let's do it. So we're entering into chapter 31, and it starts off by saying, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, and he has made all of his will. Jacob saw that the attitude of Laban, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. He says, your father has cheated me and changes my wages 10 times. It's time for us to go. Jacob gets a word back from God to go back to his hometown and his family is down. But it says in verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him that he was fleeing. This is what we've been saying the entire time. God develops his person. He develops his character. Here's the word of the Lord. He knows to obey, but how does he obey it? More scheming. He deceives Laban to obey the word of God. And we'll see that this is going to develop even more here, how Jacob is praying He's trusting the Lord. He's being righteous. Then he's scheming. He's being deceptive. And that kind of reminds us of, of our before Christ experience. And let me go ahead and say it after Christ experience, too. Hey, man. Hey, let's keep it real, bro, because we like to be pious and holier than now. But there's still a lot of development that takes place even as a Christian and Luckily, we have a God who forbears us and is so gracious that he'll walk with us because if the world had to deal with us or experience us and all that we bring to the table, they'll be out. They'll dip on us, bro. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Man, so God is so long suffering. We should mimic him and how he treats us and how he's so forbearing and so kind to us. Let God be our model and not man. But one thing I want to hit, do you notice that Rachel grabs the household idols? She has to get them before they dip. Let's talk about that, bro, because I think there's something to get here. I think this is analogous to most of our experience. What do we do when we hear the word of of the Lord, when we hear God? We say, God, I hear you. God, I want to obey you. God, I love you. But we look back like Lot's wife. And we grab our past, we grab our idols, and we grab what's meaningful to us. And we bring that baggage on the journey of obeying God. And this is what's problematic about that to me. Our whole experience now is God sovereignly bringing about his plan and with dealing with those idols that we shouldn't have brought along in the first place. It's like with Abram, right? He was trusting the Lord. But he's like, let me go down to Egypt and grab Hagar. Now that God has to deal with it, he deals with it because he's gracious and he blesses Hagar. 
He blesses Ishmael. So God is still gracious in all of that. But these are things that didn't have to happen. But what do you say about that, bro, in the experience of having to bring our idols with us? That's just human nature. Why is that, my guy? I have no idea. But I know that when we go to the jail, a lot of those guys have trust issues. And I think that's part of it. We don't, when we come to faith in Christ, especially at the beginning, we don't know if we can trust God fully. And I think that, that we find comfort in our sin, whether we'd like to say that or not. Man, so that's weird. our comfort zone. Uh, we, Because we've been doing it all of our life, for most of us, for me, uh, I'm a baby in the faith. When in the large scheme of things, I've only been uh, walking with Christ for about seven or eight years. And so most of my life has been living for myself, living in my sin. And now God's chipping away little bit by little bit. Man, that's so good. It's almost like we talk about Lot and all of these other things being Abram's backup plan. It's like we have a backup plan, don't we? We like, God, I'm going to, you say taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to taste, but I'm going to bring these other things with me just in case it doesn't work out. We just, we got this just in case plan and God is saying, no way, no how that's not going to happen. No contingency plans with me. You got to be all in. And that's part of the experience. God training us not only to accomplish his purposes, which he's going to do, but accomplishing our character in the midst of that training us that look we're going here but while we're going here this is where you're going too i'm developing you while i'm bringing about my purposes and we see that even here in the text and so laban pursues jacob and if you hop down in verse 28 it says now you have done foolishly it is in my power to do harm to you but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. And you see that strong language, bro, why Laban is saying it is in my power to harm you. When you read the text from your lens, you're like, how? This is this man's family. This is his children. How are you going to harm him for wanting to leave and go be an adult or adulting, as we call it? But that wouldn't be understanding this culture. But talk to me about the good or bad, bro. And why would he use that language? No, I, I thought it was interesting, too. Whenever I first ran across it, it didn't really make sense to me. But looking at it, I believe God was saying, hey, Laban, don't try to convince Jacob to come back with you. Either by using good words or saying, hey, I'll give you this for coming back. And don't try to say, hey, if you don't come back, I'll do this. Yeah. And so... He said, hey, just let him be. And so it's interesting. Laban basically just said, give me back my idol. Yeah, no, nah, that's good. And it's almost like he could have shown him. He gave a preview of what that looked like by, by prefacing it, by saying it's in my power to harm you. So bad would have been telling him how he could have harmed you. Come on, Jacob, I could have put you under some Chinese water torture. He could have went into depth how he could have harmed him, but he doesn't do that. But as we continue to look at the text, we see the development of Jacob. You see him being a man of faith, but you also see him still scheming. And in verse 31, it says, then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. And so Abraham's faith grew 
Now we need to grow Jacob's faith. And in verse 32, it says, for Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban searches for these idols and he can't find them. And she says this in verse 35. She says to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. In verse 36, then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you hotly pursued me? Let's wrap up chapter 31 with this, because Jacob gives a good summary of his experience with Laban. And I'll read some of this. He says that verse 38, these 20 years I have been with you. This is what's happened. I'm going to grab this out of verse 39. He says, that which was torn of beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by day, the heat. Thus I was by day, the heat consumed me and the frost by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the fall of my hands. And he rendered judgment last night. Bro, we got to talk about this. And I'll tell you why. Because this is the experience of spiritual maturity. And I'll say for us today, Christian maturity. This isn't taught today. What's taught today is, hold on. You'll get your blessing. Hold on. Change is coming. God will bless you. God will give you prosperity. He will give you the desires of your heart and everything you want. And we measure blessing by success. That's not Jacob's life. Jacob is saying, look, the heat consumed me. The frost consumed me. I didn't even get a lot of sleep. He said my wages were changed 10 times, but God was with me. Come on, Dustin. Bro, We, if we could get this, especially in America, it would change the landscape of Christianity because this is true Christianity being in harsh, hard circumstances, not jumping out of the pot, not jumping out of the crucible, but trusting the Lord while we're in it. Jacob does that. And let's not forget, he's not perfect. He's scheming. He got away from Laban deceptively. He's been praying. He's been lying. He's been praying. He's been doing good, working hard, deceiving, lying. And you see all of this mixed up in a, in a pot. And the Lord is taking it and cooking up a perfect recipe called sanctification. Man, bro, this is good. Talk to me here, man, because you experience this a lot dealing with guys who you tell them just like Paul teaches them, bro, through many tribulations, you will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul preached. This Christian life is hard, but you got a God that will help you get through it. But people hear you. But when the rubber meets the road, they go listen to another message, which is false. 
Talk to me on it, bro. No, absolutely. <clears throat> the psalmist got it. The psalmist says that God is my portion. Just like you said, if we can understand that, then we'll be way ahead of the game. Most people are looking at, at Christ. I hate to even say this, but they're looking at Christ for what Christ can offer them. The by, I call them the byproducts of Christ. Mm. Come to Christ and he'll get you off of drugs. Come to Christ, uh, he'll fix your marriage. Come to Christ, he'll do this. Well, Christ came to put us in right standing with the holy God. It's all about a relationship with God. And Jacob was understanding that a little bit better in this text. He was starting to get it, and we're going to see it develop over this period. But, man, here in America, those byproducts are sold often. For sure. For sure, bro. And texts like this help us get our bearings knowing that in the way. This is it right here. This is true biblical Christianity. Chapter 32, bro. And so Jacob has to meet his bro. It's about to go down. And the Lord uses this moment. It's so action-packed. It's so suspenseful. I hope I can capture it in my speaking. But so much is going on here. And let's try to unpack it. And so in chapter 32, it says in verse 6, and what's going to happen here is you're going to have three schemes from Jacob. He's going to scheme, but in the middle of these schemes, he's going to meet and encounter God and they're going to wrestle. So he's going to be developed throughout these three schemes. Let's look at the first one. In verse six, it says the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and furthermore, he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him, bro. And what do you think Jacob's response is? I'll ask you first and I'll just read the next verse second. Man, he's scared to death. Scared to death, bro. It says it right after. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so what does he do? What's his first scheme? Look at it. He divides the people who are with him and the flocks and the herds into two companies. So he divides his people into two companies. He's scheming now. And so for he says, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So he schemes. But guess what? In the middle of the scheme and what he does, he prays, bro. This is what I'm talking about. It's so contradictory. It's so conflicted, but it's so us. This is the human experience. I'm scheming, but I'm praying like here's the prayer. Look at what he says in verse nine. Jacob said, oh, God of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac. Oh, Lord, who said to me, making it personal, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all of the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, and he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said I will surely prosper you. And so, this is faith, man. It's not the absence of fear. Fear is here. It's I'm afraid, but you say it and I trust it and you will prevail. You see the development here, man. He's developing. He's praying. He's trusting God. But at the same time, he's scheming. And let me show you how. Look at verse 13, the next scheme. What happens? So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present 
from for his brother Esau. Now let me talk to you. The the text says prison, but we know me and you from the street. We know when you give somebody a gift to change their behavior or to manipulate them, we got another word for that. It's called a bribe, my guy. (laughs) And so he's still scheming. And so you got all of this scheming. You got all of this wrestling. You got this prayer. Look at verse 20. It says, for he said, I will appease him with a prison that goes before me. Then afterwards, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the text is showing you that it's a bribe and that he's scheming. In the middle of his scheming, he grabs his wife and children and crosses the river. Let me tell you why that's foolish. Because if he crosses the river with his children, what can Esau do? He can cross it too. And so in that scheming, boom, he meets God. And God says, enough. And guess what happens in verse 24? He meets Yahweh and they wrestle. And I got to frame this up because I think most people misinterpret this text because they don't have the background that you and I have been walking through. They think this is a text of commendation or instruction, like what you should do. If you need something from God, if nothing's happening in your life, you need to wrestle with God. You need to go to him in prayer. You need to wrestle with him. If you're or even in understanding something in the text, you need to get in that text and wrestle with God until you get the understanding or you need to wrestle with God till you get your blessing. Bro, I don't think that's what's happening in this text. I think what's happening. We see a schemer, but we also see a godly man developing and God is about to expedite his sanctification process in one experience. Talk to me, bro. Am I off faces? No, God's coming to break that hip. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming to break that hip. And I think what's happening here is Jacob is getting a, a experience of his entire life in one encounter. So let's read that. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And so this is what this man does in verse 25. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And we get the first time we get the name introduced of the name change of Jacob. And this is why I say I think people misinterpret this passage because that name change is important too. look at verse 28. It says, he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. So what happens here, he's wrestling with God. He says, until the dawn is breaking, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's what his his life is being. How did he start on this journey? God, if you give me food, if you give me clothes, then you can be my God. It's that same mentality in him. I will not let you go till you bless me. And God's saying, it don't work like that. Look, your name is Jacob, striver, deceiver, wrestler, trickery, schemer. I'm going to change your name to Israel. Bro, you know how significant this is? He's saying, I'm changing you from one who wrestles against God, one who schemes against God, to a man where God wrestles for you. Israel means God fights for you. And so God is teaching Jacob. You've been getting it wrong the whole time. You've been scheming for the blessing. You've been doing all of these things when the whole time the prophecy was in your favor. Jacob, I fight for you. 
That's why your dad didn't hear your voice. That's why you didn't lose the blessing. Because I fight for you. I've been doing this the whole time. Jacob, stop scheming. Stop fighting me. Stop wrestling against me. In fact, what you just said, I'm going to touch your hip so you can stop this. I'm going to do what? We get this in all the epistles. I'm going to make you weak, bro, so you can depend on me. For when you are weak, then you are what? Now you're strong. Now you're humble. Now you depend on me. And I think that's what's happening in this passage, bro. We see a man crippled in his weakness, and this is how you get your blessing. You get your blessing by becoming weak. Oh, this is so good. And then we walk into verse 33, and in the middle of that, we get our last scheme. All right, so this is life, right? He got his name changed, but he hadn't fully embraced it yet. He's still scheming in the midst of it, but we've seen him developing. He, he lifts up his eyes, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men, and this is what he does. He divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He puts the maids and their children up front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. Talk to me, Detective Mills. Talk to me, Brother D. What is he doing here? Man, putting his favorite back there in there. <laughs> <laughs> putting the ones he won't get. Isn't that messed up, bro? He said, I will put these up here. I like them, but they could get taken out first. <laughs> Then I'm going to put these second. I like them a little more, but they could get taken out second. But these are my favorite. i got to keep these. Like, he can't touch these. And so this is what happens. And so immediately we find out that in verse 4, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And this is what happens even in the Christian experience. 80, 90% of the stuff we think in our head that we think is going to happen isn't happening is not reality in fact i've heard the definition of fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real and what does that mean we have in our head all of these evidences and in our head we come up with all of these scenarios and they're not true and this is something that we can learn from this text and i just don't want to say that god is fighting for him too it is just in happenstance that Esau changed his disposition. God had been working on Jacob with Laban. And like we saw with the, the Amorites, he said their iniquity in full. He was working on Israel. I'll also be working on the Amorites. The same with Jacob, bro. He was woke, working on Jacob. And he also be working on who? Esau. This is the God we serve. He's omnipresent. But we're so self-consumed. We're thinking, man, he's been working on me so much. He putting all his time in with me. He ain't got time to spend with nobody else because I'm so messed up. But that's not true. God is so big. He could be working intricately and intensely in everybody's life at the same time. That's how big of a guy we serve, bro. No, absolutely. And so we'll ride out here. Nothing that Jacob thought would happen. In fact, Esau blesses him. He says in verse nine, but Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And so he responds favorably. And then Esau said, let us take our journey and go. And I will go before you. And the, the chapter dies down here. You remember where I said to remember Shechem? Verse 18. Now Jacob safely came to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And so don't forget Shechem. Shechem comes up a lot. It's going to come up again. 
and Jacob just made it back to the land and Shechem is the place where he lands and the chapter ends there and we'll yeah. pick up in chapter 34 next time.